Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil and TireRack.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thanks, Alec Webb, and welcome to MotorWeek podcast number 264. We have three very diverse new vehicles to talk about it, too. First, a, a very unique new version of an exotic car classic, the 2021 Lamborghini Huracan STO. Second, a hotter version of one of the most talked about new electric cars, the very rare 2021 Ford Mustang Mach-E GT Performance Edition. And third, well, we're going to save that for a little later in our podcast. But if you are into what's happening in the pickup truck world, you're going to wait to want to stick around and hear what uh, Ben Davis has to say. And along with Ben today, we have Brian Robinson and Greg Carlos. And with that, without further ado, let's get to it. Greg, what have you got to tell us about the 2021 Lamborghini Huracan STO? First of all, tell us what an Huracan is and an STO means for those that don't know. Yeah, so Huracan, uh, and, uh, you know, I'll get this out of the way. Uh, first, uh, pardon my voice, I'm getting over a cold. Um, so, you know, uh, I can't use that as an excuse for some of the Italian phrases I'm going to have to use here, <laughs> but uh, bear with me. Uh, yeah, so Huracan um, came out in 2014 as really their like entry level Lambo. And uh, they've actually sold quite a lot of them, 17,500 since 2014, uh, which is a lot for Lamborghini. Um, they've also had a lot of success racing them kind of quietly too. They've actually won the 24 hours of Daytona three years in a row with their GT three Huracan. So with that in mind, they're like, okay, well, let's, let's bring the race car to the street. So the STO in the Huracan STO stands for super trofeo homologata, basically, uh, homologated street car or a race car uh That's better than i would have done <laughs> yeah uh so the the basics here you still have a 5.2 liter v10 631 horsepower 417 pound feet of torque uh just beautiful lamborghini sounds only now because they've kind of uh done their race car treatment to it it sounds even more gnarly up over 4,000 rpm i mean it, it just sounds absolutely nasty uh, but but when you look, the, the first thing that you're going to notice is that this does not even really look like a street car. So think about uh, Porsche RS models, how they have big wings, lots of aero treatment on them. This is exactly what this Huracan looks like. It still has that wedge shape, but uh, the front has NACA ducts. Uh, so for airflow around the car. Uh, there's a, just a massive rear wing that is three-way adjustable. And it, at its most aggressive setting, it has over like 900 pounds of downforce at 170 oh. miles per hour, which oh. is insane. Uh, and then you get over to the top of the car, there's a, uh, a air inlet that sits on the roof going into the engine bay. And then even further behind that is like a shark fin, like quite literally, it looks like a shark fin for high speed stability. Uh, but it is a, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it essentially looks like a race car. Uh, there are minor differences between it and the, the real race car, but um, for all intents and purposes, I mean, you're looking at something that could be on a racetrack. Um, it has 
75% of the body is carbon fiber. So just to give you an idea of like how much they have put performance, you know, at the, at the forefront here, they, the inside of the Lamborghini and you're, if you know anything about Lamborghinis, you think of luxury uh, premium, they've essentially stripped it out. That's uh, carbon fiber door panels. It's just like a pull strap to get the door open. There are still screens and, and uh, uh, air conditioning. So you, you have that going for you, but it's all about weight savings. Even the windshield is thinner. They wouldn't even let me put my GoPro on the windshield because uh, <laughs> it was too thin. Uh, but uh, luckily I was able to drive the, the car around uh, Willow Springs, uh, which would be my second time out there. And I don't want to say this is an easy car to drive fast, but I felt super comfortable in this car just because you can treat it. You don't have to baby it like you would say like a base Huracan or an Evo now where, I mean, it's fast and all, but it, this is with its carbon ceramic brakes that are even a higher level of carbon ceramic over the traditional ones they use. You can just slam on the brakes as hard as you can. You're never going to overheat them. It never upsets the car. It is rear wheel drive only, and it has rear wheel steering. So this, you know, as much as I like to applaud Porsche for how well they integrate their traction control systems and all the background computer operations happening, you know, Lamborghini actually did a really nice job with this because I felt extremely comfortable driving. Uh, You know, I hit 160 down the straight, I was in the last corner at 120, uh, just over a really bumpy terrain, and it just felt solid as a rock. No understeer, uh, oversteer if you wanted it, but even if you, you know, it's a $330,000 car, and I had the tail end kicked out, and I didn't really feel uh, scared at all, <laughs> which is, uh, I think, a big compliment to the car. Mm. Brian or Ben, any comments? I mean, it seems to make you, it's taken a, an already pretty outrageous vehicle to the ultimate almost. Did you uh, drive it on the street or just the track? No, just track. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's odd because they admitted that not many people are going to track this car. Uh, but nonetheless, we did not get to drive it on the street. Uh, but I'll say that it's a real shame if you buy this car and you don't go to at least one track day. They have all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, you have um, one of the cool things we did was they hooked us up to a traditional V box, which uh, if you don't know, records all kinds of data, steering angle, throttle input, braking. Uh, it's what real race car drivers use to basically go over their laps and see where they can get faster. But this car has its own uh, telemetry system in it where it, it records data visually. Like you have the actual lap on video. You could sit in the car and watch it on the screen it gives you basically all the same information. And they showed us what a traditional V-Box would give you and what their system gives you. And it was basically the same info. Benny, anything? Um, so this will be the new uh, YouTuber's dream car. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it seems like uh, those are the only people that buy well, Lamborghinis these days. Are like good. Super- well, it. I mean, the, the Huracan they acknowledge never, anything like that. It has no, it has, it has the, the Huracan has never had the traditional Lambo doors that people seem to like, uh, myself included. Uh, it's, no, not it's, an just, event door. it's not, yeah, it's not, an, it's not an event door. So I think that actually might deter some people 
from buying it because the doors don't scissor up. They're just normal doors. And who wants a Lamborghini with normal doors? <laughs> Good point. Oh, well, as, as outrageous as it sounds, the, the, you know, and it does sound pretty outrageous. I mean, when they do these race cars for the street, uh, it, there's always some compromise that they make. That's pretty obvious, but this one doesn't sound like there's anything that's very obvious about, uh, about it. Like you really, you can't take it racing, but maybe you could at least, uh, for, uh, amateur. Yeah. I mean, this is, if you're talking about, I brought it back to Porsche and even some of the AMG uh, black series. I mean, if you, if you show up to a track day event and this thing, and you like even halfway know what you're doing, you're going to probably impress everybody there. Cause this like Lamborghini has never been traditionally known for selling like super high performance stuff that could really seriously compete on a racetrack. And this is the first Lamborghini I've been in that I felt like it was a true track car. You know, with that, I'm going to close out the, uh, our discussion on the Lambo and move on to our second car. And this one, we actually did have a chance to take to a track nearby and we didn't expect to, uh, it's still a pretty big switch from a Uricon to the Ford Mustang Mach-E, specifically the 2021 Ford Mustang Mach-E GT Performance Edition. Uh, pretty rare car and a next level up for Mustang Mach-E. Brian Roberts, why don't you tell us more about it? Brian Robinson, sorry. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. BR2. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to get through here. I'm going to skip going on and on about what it looks like. Uh, if you're familiar with the Mach-E, you know what it looks like. If not, it looks exactly like what you expect an SUV version of a Mustang would look like. Google it. I want to get right to driving it as this was our first chance to drive the GT Performance Edition. And my opinions on that will possibly anger some of you. The uh, GT gets uh, the dual motor all-wheel drive, 480 horsepower, 600 pound-feet of torque, the uh, performance edition adds a little more torque on top of that. Magna ride suspension, track specific tuning for the all wheel drive, which I think is a little more rear bias, not sure on that. Uh, and some really nice looking uh, 20 inch wheels with Pirelli summer tires. Um, now I'm on a little bit of a roller coaster of emotions with the Maki. Um, wasn't quite sure it was a great idea to begin with, but after driving it, uh, it sort of makes sense. I can live with it. Uh, got a chance to drive the GT last week, uh, but it's an owner's car, uh, so I didn't want to be disrespectful and push it too hard, uh, but came away quite impressed with the noticeable performance, especially in handling, uh, just an amazing amount of grip in the corners. Uh, but for some reason, that same owner allowed us to take the car to the track this week. And so at that point, I figured it's game on. Uh, we're going to give it a full workout. Uh, still impressed with the handling. I mean, it's a lot of weight. There's no getting around it. Uh, but like most TVs, that weight is down low. So it's very quick to turn in. Not nimble exactly, but there's very little body roll. Uh, we had another uh, European branded uh, performance style SUV at the track at the same time. And the Mustang was far and away better uh, as far as body roll, virtually none. Um, the Euro SUV was softer, a lot more roll. Uh, I would say it probably had maybe a little more grip than the Mustang even just because the Mustang's tires are fairly skinny. I wish, uh, they could have put a little more meat down there. 
Um, but uh, getting right to the acceleration was where things get interesting. Uh, the car is quick, uh, no matter how you launch it, uh, three, five, three, six to 60, uh, without any problems. Um, but after that, uh, is where it gets interesting. Instead of just keep, uh, piling on the power, it kind of just maintains, uh, once you get up to about 70 miles an hour and the car physically feels like it's slowing down. It feels like you're on your way to an 11 second quarter mile and someone pulled the chute too early. And you ended up finishing in low 12s, but at only 103 miles per hour, which usually low 12s, you know, are in the one teens, you know, maybe 10 miles an hour faster than that. So, but the upside on that is that you can do it all day long. Uh, it doesn't use nearly as much battery. We, uh, we did a full track day. Uh, we didn't skip one thing and we still had half of the battery left in the car. The guy had more than enough to drive 70 miles home to Virginia after we were done. Uh, most EVs, you know, you get yeah. one or two hours of fun time and then you're done for the day or you're looking for a place to charge in. Uh, so yeah, that's my opinions on the driving of the Mach-E. Any questions? Do you think that's, do you think that's, be, you know, characteristic of, I mean, we've only driven a few all electrics at the track performance models. But since you get 100% of the torque instantaneously, I wonder if this is fairly typical. Any uh, thoughts? It's the first time I've experienced it. I thought I was doing something wrong at first. Um, so I would say no. I mean, it's like they're making the decision for you, and then you really don't want to use all this battery. Yeah. Whereas other performance SUVs are, you know, hey, if, if you want to do this and know where to charge it up, go for it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know whether it's a battery issue or whether it's a motor cooling issue or whether Ford just wants to save something more for another high performance version they have coming. Yeah. I don't know the the you know meaning behind it all or wants to make sure you have something to get home in. Greg or Ben, any comments? None for me, sir. Thank you. Greg. So what's your final stance? Can you just uh, go ahead and give that to us, Robinson, on the. Mustang oh. Mach-E GT. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's an amazing car, but it could be so much better. That's just, that's my uh, ultimate takeaway. And if you get in it, jump in it, and you nail the throttle, it takes off and it feels awesome. Most people at that point are then going to back off, but they're not going to run a full quarter mile. Uh, if they do, they'll probably just dis be disappointed. Well, our, our thanks to the owner for allowing us to, uh, to use and almost abused his uh, beautiful car. It was in the grabber blue paint. It, it looked gorgeous. And um, it was uh, gave us a chance to get in a car that we hadn't get, had a chance to get in yet. Before we move on to our third car, and I use that term loosely, um, let's pause from the vehicles and uh, talk about some of the other things that we usually do on our podcast. Let's go to our lightning round and get your comments on this and and we keep them fairly brief but we want to cover the subject and this has been in the news a lot um just this week or last week would the case may be georgia-based ashley group a big dealer operation they've got about 100 dealerships across the country mostly in the southeast they bought a western mega dealer uh and they added 50 more short stores which means that ashley 
is was was the sixth biggest dealer group in the country. Now they're the fourth. So we're seeing a lot of these mega dealer mergers, one big operation do it buying another. Uh, they've already bought up most of the independents. Why is this happening now? And do you folks think that consumers are going to be helped or hurt by it? What's your opinion? Because we see it even on our local area, fewer and fewer independent dealers and more and more of these mega operations. I don't know if I have the exact answer to that question, but I can opine. Um, it's kind of a tale as old as time, uh, you know, big companies, corporations coming in and taking up smaller ones. It happens everywhere. And now it's happening to, to dealerships. If I had to guess, I'd say uh, it's harder for smaller dealerships to compete with the new way of shopping where everybody goes online and wants to see everything about the car and possibly even buy the car online where these bigger dealerships probably have the money and time and personnel to spend taking pictures, videos, uh, people managing a very good website. Whereas these smaller mom and pop dealerships probably just don't have those resources. And today's buyer doesn't really have the time to like sit there and go into the dealership and, and do the traditional car buying experience. Uh, and will consumers be hurt by it? Uh, yeah. I mean, ultimately uh it's uh, as we kind of have our maybe ourselves to blame because we take uh you know uh convenience over the the buying local but uh i think ultimately you know i, I think it will give us less choices brian or ben i'll go next um i'll i'll put in my guess as well as to why this um could possibly benefit the um, consumer and why dealers might be uh, stockpiling dealerships like this is probably to um, get ready to wage war with Zoom and Carvana and such like that, where they, it gives them uh, ultimately a lot of buying power maybe, and perhaps a, a much larger um, retail front to not only sell new cars, but to, to sell used cars in a competitive atmosphere. Because I mean, five years down the road from now, I think it's safe to say that uh, online car sales is gonna take over. And um, a lot of people still are a little leery to buy off of Carvana and Zoom. The idea of buying a car that you can't see is kind of scary. But if um, these huge 150 dealership places have, uh, just as many used cars available for similar prices, but you could possibly go and look at them or have them physically shipped to a dealer near you, like CarMax is kind of doing now, then that's, you know, I think you got to join forces to stay in the, in that game. If that makes any sense, mm -hmm. I could be just randomly talking. No, it does. Brian. Yeah. I would say things never work out in the consumer's favor, right? That's the whole point of business, but um <laughs> Uh, it's like every other business that you got to go big or go home. The little smaller dealers just can't compete with the buying power that those uh, big chains have. I will say that maybe the one benefit you get is, you, you know, that one dealer group has every brand possible. So you can go to their Chevy dealership and say, maybe you're comparing with a Mazda. They'll get a Mazda to that Chevy dealership for you to try it out. You don't have to drive to six different places around town or even the next town over to drive things. If they, if they think you're serious about comparing a few cars, 
uh, they'll have them all right there at that dealership for you. I think that's a very good point. I mean, to me, it's just another evolution in the the dealership store. You know, there's dealerships. It's always been a love hate relationship between the dealer and the manufacturers. When a mega group represents, like you mentioned, Brian, all these different brands, the the manufacturer one manufacturer has less pressure that they can apply to that dealership organization. But on the other hand, for the manufacturer, it means that they probably don't have to have as many personnel in the field to troubleshoot with the dealer when a, when a customer has a problem or anything else. So the manufacturer can actually save some money uh, as well. So it's an interesting trend. It seems to me it's just the latest thing that we're seeing how uh, the retail operations are evolving. And yeah, in the end, I'm afraid the consumer they may have better choices, but they may not necessarily be able to make better deals. So uh, it's an interesting uh, way of the uh, sign of the times. I got a YouTube question from Lisa, and this is one that we get on the show quite often. Uh, she wants to know, is there an easy do-it-yourself way to restore hazy lights, headlights, I believe she means, back to crystal clear. Is there anything that you would advise fellas uh, and anything that we know it works and for how long? I've used the 3M kits before. They come with like a Scotch-Brite pad. It involves uh, putting a Scotch-Brite on the end of a drill and actually um, sanding off, if you will, that hazy layer. And then it comes with a couple of uh, uh, chemicals on its swipes that you have to rub the the uh, the prep and the chemical over the headlight to get it as good as it can I, to get them back crystal clear and brand new i wouldn't say it is possible if that's what you're looking for you're going to be a little bit disappointed but they def these kits definitely make a huge difference for sure but then again um new headlights really aren't that much money anymore you can get the housing shipped to you pretty cheap so you got to weigh your ability and and um and how clear you want your headlight to be. Yeah, honestly, the uh, the price of a new headlight uh, might determine whether or not you take on this job because it's not a hard job. It's just kind of time consuming and repetitive. You just, you have all these different grits. I'm talking about the packages that uh, Benny D is talking about here. You have different grits. It's just like a whole process. And if you do do this, uh, make sure you tape around the headlight so you're not scuffing up your body because you are using sandpaper. Uh, and they work for, uh, you know, I've only used one or two different types and they work, uh, but I've always had the haziness come back eventually. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it's temporary at best. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, just to echo what Greg said there too, you know, it's not a matter of them just being dirty. They're literally getting uh, pitted and marked up, uh, sandblasted basically on a daily basis. So you got to remove all that. You got to, so you're also, you know, shaving away any type of protective coating that was there. So it, the, once you get them clean, they just get cloudy much quicker than they did originally. Um, I will, I wouldn't recommend this in any way, um, but I have seen people use uh, mosquito wipes, which apparently has some uh, chemical in it. I've seen people do it and it, I don't know how long it lasts, but it does make them amazingly uh, clear, much easier than the uh, other type of kids. Well, that's a good tip. Um, for uh, Lisa, if you're uh, listening, and I hope you are, um, 
I was looking around the internet and a popular mechanics magazine online has done a survey of I think 10 or 14 of the best uh, do-it-yourself uh, headlight uh, cleaning kits. And they talk about the difficulty of each. Uh, there's a Rain-X kit that apparently is pretty good, uh, as well as that 3M kit that uh, Ben mentioned. Just remember, it's probably all going to be temporary. And the easier it is, probably the less long-term, long-lasting it's going to be. But uh, we've all faced that problem. And and I like the fact that you can get those housings cheaper now than you ever could before. Thanks, everybody. Okay, we're going to move on to our third vehicle that we want to talk about today. All of a sudden, the compact pickup truck is back. We've already seen the Hyundai Santa Cruz. And Ben Davis, you're just back from driving. So far, it's one and only direct rival, the Ford Maverick. Tell us about it. Yes, the 2022 Ford Maverick is indeed a compact pickup truck. It's quite sporty. Um, it is unibody. No, uh, everybody talks about how they miss the trucks from the 80s and 90s, how you could just go out and buy a, an affordable truck that could double as a, a commuter and, and a decent hauler. And granted, with Ranger and uh, Tacoma, those are smaller trucks, but they're a lot bigger than they used to be, a lot bigger than a lot of people remember. Well, these compact trucks fit that niche perfectly for uh, guys old as myself can remember what a small truck should be. But the everything is way more capable than it was back in the day. This, this truck has a 1500 pound payload in the bed. That's ridiculous. Um, it can haul 2000 pounds in standard trim. And if that's not enough, you can upgrade to the two liter EcoBoost motor and get the 4K package and tow 4000 pounds. Um, being unibody, they ride, um, they're much more agile and responsive. Uh, they're uh, lower to the ground, so reaching over the bed rail to grab stuff is pretty easy. It's the, it was, it's the perfect truck for a lot of people. Uh, I know in my neighborhood, everybody drives F-150s with 40-inch tires, so they, I might get made fun of a little bit for driving one, but it's perfect. Only one body style, right? Yeah, there is only one body style. It is a four-door with, uh, with a small utility box on the back. Um, there's three trim levels, though, and you can get either engine in any trim, all-wheel drive in any trim. Uh, so it's really easy to build one within your budget, for sure. Guys? Uh, is there any like uh, tricks to the bed? Is it just a straight-up bed, or is there... Oh, no, there, there, it's, it's kind of got that Ikea kind of uh, mentality to it where, yeah, we have a small space, but we're going to maximize it to, it can't be maximized anymore. It's got, um, it's got deep pockets you can put uh, up to, I think it's eight two by fours in it to make dividers. It's got two by six pockets. So if you're creative, you can, any configuration of two by four, two by six in there to divide up your load, you can do that. It's got tie downs on the bottom. It's got tie down cleats on the sides. It's got a two position tailgate. Uh, you can haul you can haul a full sheet of plywood, uh, rest on top of the fender wells, and then there's a two position tailgate. So from your standard, open it and drop all the way flat. You can undo the the uh, tailgate straps and mount them higher, and that pitches the tailgate so that uh, it will carry the uh, it'll rest the end of the plywood on the tailgate, and then the forward half rests on top of the fender wells. 
Um, and there's 12 volt power back there to run any accessory you might want. Uh, there's optional 120 volt power. Uh, there's a, a C channel that you can run anything you want into as far as tie downs go. It, it's pretty clever. You said it's got a small box. You remember how long it is? Um, I, I think it's four, four feet. Four, four feet, I think. I think, I think you're right. Uh, uh, hold on. Um, it's um, 42.6 inches wide. 33 cubic feet. Uh, I think it's like closer to four and a half feet. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. They don't give an accurate, uh, accurate. Uh, uh, it's uh, 50. You're right, Brian. It's uh, almost 55 inches. So, Greg, any comment? Yeah, they uh, at these press events, they always talk about who they're marketing to. They actually spend a fair deal of time talking about that. Uh, I know the the Hyundai Santa Cruz is like. The activity people, people who like to go jet skiing or hiking, camping on weekends, who live in the city. These, did they mention the Santa Cruz at all, or like Santa Cruz buyer versus a, a Ford Maverick buyer? Like, it, it, you would think that the Ford Maverick might they might try to market it more to like more like tradesmen-y people than like specifically like just activity people. Uh, it was a brief walk around. They didn't compare the. Um the Santa Cruz buyer at all, but they, they uh, explain their demographic exactly the same as you just explained Santa Cruz is um, very adventurous, outdoorsy kind of person that would throw a couple kayaks in there. And this will, if with all wheel drive and FX4 package, they designed it to get to any fun spot you could imagine. Um, but I mean, definitely an XL trim. I mean, the, the base XL trim comes with a, a painted steel wheel and a blacked out grill. So if you saw the very base model, it definitely looks ready for fleet use. And it would probably fit the bill for a lot of fleet applications, I would imagine as well. They also, when they were first launching it, there was a lot of speculation that um, since this is, um, uh, it's Ford Edge based, I believe. They've- um, it's a, uh, I think escape. it's Escape. Yeah. Escape, yeah. escape sorry. Swan Bronco escape. Sport platform. They, they made a big deal about this could be a, uh, entry-level vehicle, maybe instead of putting your uh, son or daughter into a small car, you put them into a small pickup truck. And it and the base model is a hybrid too, so it's pretty efficient. That's right. Well, you can get that hybrid engine in any trim as well. But I mean, they're targeting the EPAs they had available. It was 40 miles per gallon city. They didn't have a, a mixed or a highway available, but that's, that's still a, pretty good. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, base price too is 19. It's a little, it's 19,995. So if you want every to, vehicle is designed for young active lifestyle people who get out of the city <laughs> and go do things in the weekends. I've never sat through one of those where they're like, what we're going for here is the guys that like to sit and watch football all weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And, and go to work every day. The guys that are glued to their phone and watch YouTube all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's what all these people do. Our resident <laughs> cynic strikes again. <laughs> I like if you I like wanted the way to that... pull a couple jet skis, it's there for you. It encourages like way... you to be more active. I like the way that base looks with the steelies. It, like it's working for me. I don't know why. I, I take it. I mean, it's got 
with the base, you still got an eight inch touch and Wi-Fi and a pretty decent amount of safety tech. I mean, and, and you've got all that utility and you haven't spent a lot of money, especially when you compare it to most any other pickup truck. And it's uh, super maneuverable and easy on the pump. So if you need a truck, don't try to kid yourself into thinking you need a lot more truck than you do because you could probably get away with this. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ben. That was a good, uh, good report. Hey, our last segment uh, for today is uh, Rant and Rave. Anybody got something they want to sound off about, positive or negative? And happy we'll get Everybody happy? Nobody grumbling? All right. Well, that wraps up our show. And we want to thank everybody for joining us on our podcast. Our writer, two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos. And our MotorWeek retro review guru, Ben Davis. Thank you, guys. Also want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood. Our podcast producer, of course, is Greg. And our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. And thanks to our sponsor. And in fact, a big welcome to our newest, Lucas Oil. And I also want to thank our longtime supporter at Tire Rack. For more Motor Week and to check out where we can be seen on your local public television station, go to our website, motorweek.org or motorweek.com, and click on About the Show tab at the top. And you put in your locale and you'll get the up-to-date uh, times that we're on and days. We're also happy to announce that you can now see us on MAV TV, the uh, premier motorsports network for the U.S., we have new episodes showing up there at around 7.30 Eastern time uh, every Saturday. And they also play us other times during the week. So check MavTV.com for full listings. If you're streaming, and more and more people are, if you want to stream Motor Week, you'll find complete episodes free of charge over at pbs.org slash motorweek. And we're also on the PBS Living, part of the Prime system. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks to everybody out there for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil and TireRack.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.